Welcome to episode 86 of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. Garrett and Eric are with me. Hello, gentlemen. Howdy. Good evening. Uh, this is our February 2018 episode, and as usual, we will start with our update from our workshops. So, Garrett, I understand you have the carburetors from Eric's XS400. Yeah, I've had them for longer than I should. I'm sorry, Eric. <laughs> it's all good. Getting caught up on a few other things, uh, just a little bit gummed up, but I think I'll give them a good cleaning. I did finish the Suzuki T500 and the Vesco RD350. Those are done, running, riding. Uh, so that was pretty neat to ride have those you, around for a little bit. I was going to say, have you had a chance to actually do any riding on them? Or? Not any meaningful riding, but just enough to know that everything works right. Mm-hmm. We got some nasty weather, probably like you guys did. We didn't get the polar vortex over here, but we did get some snow and ice. So that happened like right after I finished. So I was able to ride them around a little bit, make sure everything was working. I haven't done the final detailing on them yet to make them picture ready. But mechanically, they're all done. So that's really exciting. Everything works. Um <laughs> Should we should we just explain? Yeah, okay. Rather than having to edit all that out, Eric, why don't you tell them about the new addition to your family? Okay, so yeah, um, I think I we talked I talked about it back in July where we lost our mastiff and we finally got a new puppy. Went to Virginia at the end of January, yeah, and uh, got a at that time 10, 10 week. He's just now a little over twelve week old Irish Wolfhound puppy. Oh, an Irish wolfhound. That's going to be a yeah. big dog, too. Yep. A really so, tall dog. <laughs> yes. Uh, met his, well, met his, his mother, his father, and his grandfather. Um, his grandfather, appropriately named Killian, was at least as high as my waist. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, and I have a feeling that given how much he has grown just in the last week, let alone the last, last two weeks, um, he's going to be a big boy. So, yeah. Well, Irish wolfhounds usually are. That's pretty neat. I've always liked those dogs. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting because I had been without a dog just long enough for me to get used to not having a dog yeah. again. And now that we have one, it's like, oh, yeah, especially having a puppy. So um, I am puppy sitting this evening and trying to do the show. So if you hear a little <laughs> squeaking or chewing of the bone, it's just I'm trying to keep a young puppy who's, you know, just had you his know, dinner and now he's all full of energy again. I, so. I feel like dogs are a lot like old motorcycles where they're good in theory and you always want one until you have one. And then when you have one, it's like, oh, why do I have a dog? Uh, and then when you don't have one, then you miss them and then you get another one. And it's this vicious cycle that just keeps going and going. Yeah, Mostly just the first like six to nine months. And then when they kind of get to be a little older and get close to being like a year old, then they're not yeah. so bad. They become a lot less maintenance. But it's just it's that puppy phase, you know? Yeah. It's the puppy phase and the old man phase, because we, uh, it's been a couple years now, but we, uh, had a corgi beagle mix that lived to be almost 20. Oh, wow. And the last couple years were worse than the puppy phase. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could, he could be home by himself, but as far as incontinence, not being able to sleep through the night, vet visits, everything else, we had 21 or 22 years of, Four cats and a dog. 
And now that they're all gone, we clean the house. We put down all new carpeting and pad all over the house. And we're really not ready to go back there yet. With Sarah and I both working, any pet we have would be alone all day long anyways. So, Yeah. I'm glad that you got another friend. I'll be excited to see pictures of your dog growing up. Yeah. Uh, just watch my Instagram account, which is Rumble Strip, and you'll see plenty of pictures of that's for everybody. Um, yeah, you'll see plenty of pictures of him. Yeah, good. Um, I finished those two motorcycles, and you know, I don't know if either of you have ever ridden a Suzuki T500, but they might be the best air-cooled two-stroke motorcycle there is to ride. Mm. Um. They they have so much torque, and they're not really fast. They don't have a lot of power, but where they do have power is all down low. And you, it's almost like there's no power ban on it. It's just you can accelerate at any RPM. You don't have to be in any particular gear or any rev range. They're really incredible. Actually, I would definitely suggest that any viewers that are looking for an old two-stroke, forget about Yamaha RDs and the rest of them. Find a T500. That extra displacement makes a world of difference. The thing about them is they're very predictable. They don't do what mm-hmm. the RDs and the Kawasaki triples did, which were go to twist the throttle and you give it a little bit more. And all of a sudden, wow, you get a whole lot more than you thought you were going to get and you're out of control. And it's yeah. it's very linear. They're never frightening or unpredictable. Yeah. And the engines are really robust. Um, the engine cases are really substantial. The crankshaft is the biggest two-cylinder crankshaft I've ever seen. Um, the bearings on them are really large. The transmission gears are really large. I mean, from a design and engineering standpoint, they're actually a really good motor. And you can get lots of parts for them still, too. Um, I haven't had a chance to clean the motorcycles up yet, so I haven't posted pictures of them all finished because they're pretty dirty just from sitting around for a long time. So uh, I'll get them cleaned up as soon as the weather turns better and get some pictures and some ride videos on them. So now that those two motorcycles are done, I ordered pistons for my Kenny Roberts RZ. Uh, All the machine work is done for that engine, so the pistons will be here in a couple days. I'll fit them and put the engine back together on that, and then that bike will be done. And then I'll have to decide, maybe with your guys' help, which motorcycle I work on next. And we can talk about that now or a little bit later, but basically... I either have the water buffalo to work on or the big engine RZ350 or my RD350 with that custom chassis with the spoked 17-inch wheels. So one of those three is the next project that's going to get finished, and I'm just not sure which one I want to finish first. Any input? Are are any of those... Flippers, or are those things you want to hang on no, to? No, those are all motorcycles that I'm going to hang on to. The, the RD is the one I want to see finished the most. I'm in agreement. Like, the custom RD, I think, would be the one to do. Yeah, I might have to do that. If you guys are both in agreement, I just I really have this love affair with the Water Buffalo, and I really want to ride it, because I've never ridden one before. And, and all three of them are probably going to require about the same amount of effort to finish and money and all that. So it's really kind of all the same as except, you know, which one I just want to have sitting in the garage finished first. 
you've re kind of ignited my interest in water <laughs> buffaloes. I was, yeah. I was cruising eBay and various Craigslist, uh, directories in the Midwest and looking around. And about that same time, somebody posted a, a GSF 400 bandit with the perimeter frame with a blown engine. And they were pretty high stress engines. And most of them that you see that have problems, their, their top end problems or crank engine, yeah. you know, the, the engines are what go out on them. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, wow. You could put a GT 750 motor in one of those uh-huh. and have a really stiff frame, which they don't have stock with really nice suspension. And that's one of the list of about 20 different bikes. I will never ever have a chance to. You know, I'll never have the the time, the money, the experience, the resources, and all that to do it. But what a great idea. I want to find a derelict 400 Bandit and put a water buffalo motor in it. Yeah, um, that would be pretty fun. And I, I will just say that, uh, and I'll put this in our chat, I had a box full of spare RZ and Banshee engine parts, and I realized uh, just a couple of weeks ago that I had everything to build a whole engine. So I did, I uh, took all my spare parts and I built this Banshee engine and like, I need another project, but I have this Banshee engine and carburetors and a CDI and wiring. And, and basically I have everything to make a running package that could just be put into anything. And I, I was just thinking about selling it as a package for like an engine swap thing. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm going to hang on to it for just a little bit. But, you know, uh, something like that GS400 Banshee engine would be pretty cool in it. Really RS250. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That would be really cool. Uh, yeah. I definitely have to vote for the vote for the custom RD. And originally okay. you were thinking about a, a water cooled engine in that. Yeah. But you're going to um, go with the, the RD motor you have. I am. Yeah. I was originally going to put a, a stroked RZ motor in it, either a 380 or a 421. But then I got this other RZ and I'm going to put a big engine in that RZ. And then so I'm I'm just going to stick to an air cooled motor in this custom RD. Uh, I think it'll it'll complement the bike better. And you guys have seen pictures. It's it's really lightweight. Every extra tube has been cut off of it. It's got aluminum gas tank, aluminum tail section. And I just think that an air-cooled motor without a radiator or any other things going on would just look the best in it. Plus, I have a set of gold DG heads for the RD motor. Which, regardless and- of how they work, they just look so cool. Yeah, that's the only reason I would use them. Um they're no better than a stock head. Uh, the combustion chamber is maybe slightly larger, but that's nothing a lathe can't fix. They might have a little extra surface area for cooling, but it's really not that big of a deal. Um, you can get just as much performance out of a stock head, I guess, is what yeah, I'm trying to say. Yeah, but they're gold and they have radial it, fins. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> and exactly. So that's that's the only reason I'm going to use them is because they're gold. <laughs> and so everybody will say, hey, that's a DG head. Um so, yeah, I'll probably work on that RD. I've had it the longest, and it's been sitting unfinished uh, probably longer than any other project I've had. So might as well get it done. So I think that that's it for my workshop updates. And I think. 
Eric, I'm assuming that if half of your parts are at Garrett's house, that you <laughs> haven't done anything. <laughs> no, I haven't even bothered to clean the bike uh, while it's just sitting there, but mostly because a polar vortex. Yeah. Uh, and then B, we've had, well, especially as of today when we're recording this, I think our third like snow and ice storm where it snows and then it's ice and then it all melts and then it's, you know, wash, rinse and repeat again. So uh, if it was 45 or 50, I think we had one 50 degree day, but it was also like cold during the day and didn't warm up to like eight o'clock at night. And then the next day it was back in the twenties again. So it was like, you know, why bother? So yeah, not super motivated to be freezing my butt off outside in the garage right now. <laughs> Our weather was bad enough last week that I actually was home from work because they closed the office on Thursday and Friday. Uh, putting down new tile in our master bath was the majority of my time. I did manage to do some work on the Honda 125 and really kind of just trying to figure out how everything's going to go together. It's been so long since I worked on it. I kind of had to refresh my memory of, of what I needed to do and put together a punch list of what needed to get done and think about the order. I'm still struggling with trying to figure out how to put a petcock on the tank because the Jiling tank outlet points right at the top of the camshaft cover on the, on the head and there's no clearance there. So I'm, I got some brass stock and I'm going to have to try and make some kind of a custom threaded adapter to go on there. And I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work yet, but we've got that, uh, because of the different tank that I got, uh, the seats got to get moved back about two inches. So I've been making new brackets for how that's all going to fit together. And, uh, just ordered a, a new battery for it today. Cause since I'm going to 12 volts and, the battery that it had was so ridiculously small that uh, since I'm not using the air cleaner anyways, I pulled the whole air cleaner battery box toolbox out of it. I bought some metal and I actually bought a really cheap uh, Harbor Freight bending brake for metal and mm-hmm. played with it some. And the online reviews were pretty mixed about what it could and couldn't do. But for the for my purposes, for, for making up a battery box for this, it's going to work fine. So yeah. I bolted it down to my workbench and bent some metal up with it. Are you going to go with uh, like what, a little like Light Pro or uh, what's the other one, like for the little lithium-ion batteries so it's, it's, they're it's, small anyways? Uh, no, I'm going to go with an AGM uh, Motobat. It's basically the same model that goes in like, uh, a lot of the 450 and 250 uh, dual sport bikes, like the CRF 230, the WR250R, a couple of the other ones. I think maybe a KLR250. So it's it's small enough; it'll fit in there just fine. It's about six and a half amp hours, which is all I need because the only thing. That's not going to be LEDs are the indicator lights, the little dash lights, turn signals, tail light, headlight are all going to be LEDs. So it's not going to draw more than, even with all the lights on, probably not more than, I'm guessing 40 watts maybe. 
when when the turn signal's going, the high beams on and the brake lights on, you're maybe pushing 40 watts. So it'll it'll do what I need. I like the placement of your air cleaner and the carburetor and your side cover. I actually like the way that that all worked out on your Honda. Those of you who can't see this, my air cleaner didn't fit behind the air the side cover, and I wanted to have something there, so I just chopped it out. And then I was like, oh, well, I could just put in a little bit of, you know, cover there and make it look a little more finished. So that's just a tape and cardboard mock-up right now, but I'm gonna, I've am gonna i got plenty of uh, fiberglass resin and, and mat that I'm actually going to fiberglass. Go on Hooniverse, look at the pictures. Uh, that's It's eventually going to look like that. But yeah, I think it would look cool if that air cleaner was exposed like it is. Um, rather than like uh, mold and uh, side cover kind of around the air cleaner. Well, I was thinking about covering it up just for rain. Yeah. Just, you know, if, if you leave it parked in the rain, not having your air cleaner get soaked with water, which is mm-hmm. a really good thing. Yeah. So I, I it'll probably be exposed. I park it, put a Ziploc bag over it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that hard. Just because it's kind of cool to see the air cleaner and the exhaust right next to each other, you know, with the mm-hmm. high exhaust and the air cleaner, it kind of, it reminds me of the old drawing they had of the Powerall motor. Do you remember? It was like a face and the guy's running, but his head was a motor and he mm-hmm. had, his nose was the exhaust and kind of curled behind. It was a high exhaust and out the back of his head, he had an air cleaner sticking out at the back of yeah. it. So I'll, yeah. I'll see if I can find that image, but, uh, I've got a lot of body work to do. But I'm trying to tell myself, make it run. Cause I kept thinking about, oh, I need to do this. And it was like, no, get fuel to the carb, make it run, then worry about all the other stuff. Yeah. So many components have been changed and don't have the proper wiring. Plus, I'm going to have to do like a diode kit for the flasher indicator on the dash because it mm-hmm. uses one for both. When you put LEDs in, every time you turn on your turn signals, it'll bleed through your indicator. And make all four of them flash. So you need uh-huh. to put a little diode kit in there. So all my wiring colors were all messed up. So I finally sat down and just made up from scratch in Adobe Illustrator an exact wiring diagram. Because some of the things that were on the right handlebar are now on the left. And some of the wiring's different. And I started having those moments of scratching my head going, wait a minute, what, what color is that? supposed to be really and i was like i'm gonna screw something up if i don't get a comprehensive custom wiring diagram put together that i can actually trace my own wire colors of where they change yeah. and things like that so how far away are you from starting it or trying to start it uh there's a lot of little things like i wanted to see if the later model stator cover would work mm-hmm. i took that off forgetting that there were oil behind there oh yeah so I need to stop that leak, which I think just means clean it off and put it back on and torque the bolts down properly. You know, the side cover screws. Mm -hmm. I lost enough oil that I need to top off the oil. I need to get fuel to the carburetor. And that's kind of a sticky wicket because I even tried to banjo bolt, kind of make a custom coupling nut that would thread onto the bottom of the tank and then just have the banjo bolt thread into that. The banjo bolt itself is too tall to fit. So what I'm thinking about doing now is making up like a brass, you know, a sleeve to go over it. And then, because what it has now is it's got a little pipe that comes out with an external 14 millimeter thread. 
Mm-hmm. And it's real fine thread too. It's 14 by 1.0 millimeter thread, which is just, oh, wow. it's what Honda used on a lot of their old small bikes. So what I may do is put a brass sleeve, screw it on and maybe use a little epoxy to really stick it on there and then tap it, thread this banjo bolt directly into the bottom of the tank where this little pipe comes out. It's mm-hmm. not thick enough to do that now, but if I do this, I think I could thread that in there. I wouldn't have a, a reserve, but I could put in a on-off fuel valve in line. Right. So I got to do that. I got to get the new battery hooked up and mounted in there. I've got a 12-volt regulator rectifier that just needs – I need to cut off the wires, put spade terminals on it, mount that, which is also going to go in whatever structure the battery's in. I'm going to mount that to it. So it, it it's a whole bunch of little things. And then once I get it all together, I'm hoping I don't have some kind of electrical problem, although the actual ignition system is so simple on this. It's a wire that goes to the coil, and there's the coil, the breaker, the spark plug, and the condenser. That's the whole system. So it's really hard for me to believe that I have some kind of intermittent fault that I couldn't correct fairly easily. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a whole bunch of niggling little things that, in theory, Mm -hmm. don't take any time. But when you sit down to do them, you're like, oh, man. I know, and it always takes longer to do those things than you think it should. <laughs> well, and like moving the seat back, I had to cut off the ends of the two little tabs that bolted to the frame on the back of the seat because they came down right where the turn signals and the fender mounts are. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to mess with that. So I'm gonna just going to cut it off, and I need to make a little angled bracket that's going to go from that and kind of an S-turn two inches forward and then drop down to where the original mounting point was on the frame mm-hmm. so it's just i've got the steel i just need to cut it out and grind it down to the shape i need drill a couple holes in it and it's nothing complicated it just takes time right the front of it no longer fits under the tank there at the back of the tank the tank mount is also what the front of the seat is supposed to hook underneath and it's supposed to sit on the frame rails on little rubber dampers so i need to Again, get another little piece of metal stock and weld that across the seat and just tack weld that on. But trying to make sure I get that at the right level, the bolts on the back and the uh, hook mounting point in the front are all supposed to just be just right so that it has a little tension, but right. you're not stressing anything when you sit on it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all that. It's just simple fabrication. But yeah, it's going to take me a while. Yeah. Okay, well, that's our update. Uh, Let's move on to the second part, which was a subject we brought up last time, which was if you could have one motorcycle that somebody would say, I will give you any motorcycle you want, but this one motorcycle is it. It is forever and ever, or I guess at least the life of the bike. This is what you get to own. What bike would you pick? And uh, just to give you a little background, somebody came up with something about this on a forum or something, or somebody else was talking about it on a podcast. And thinking about this, I made a list of what I would want out of a bike. 
I would want it to be able to go long distance. I would want it to be something I could ride around town without being super huge. And I would want it to be something that was interesting enough conceptually, intellectually, mechanically that it would keep my interest. So I, I wrote down fuel injection, ABS brakes, some kind of traction control, rain mode, something like that, because frankly, I want to mitigate my risk as much as possible. I know some people are like, hey, life's short, live hard, die fast. Yeah, when you get to be my age, I don't want to be in a in a horrible accident because I don't heal up as well. And I don't want to be in chronic pain for the next 20 or 30 years. So mm-hmm. anything I can do to avoid going down, I want to do. Uh, cruise control is important to me. I never thought I would use it till I had it on my spider. And when you live where I live and ride the places that I ride, where you can go 70 miles in a straight line, it's nice to be able to just thumb that, especially when I'm riding with my wife. You can just hit it. You're not constantly accordion back and forth on the road. You can just set it, ride with somebody. It it, it really is much nicer than I ever would have expected. Yeah. Something smooth, not too much vibration. You know, I'm not going to buy a Sportster that after 100 miles, your hands and feet are numb. So uh, a comfortable seat. I had a Suzuki Boulevard S50, which was really nice, except the seat and the rear shocks just beat your butt. Mm -hmm. So thinking about all that, I came to the conclusion there is no one motorcycle that would be everything that I wanted. Until I started doing a little research, I was gonna say it wasn't a, it wasn't a BMW GS twelve hundred. I hate BMW GSs from from so many different levels. I couldn't. You know how some people say they would never ride a Harley because they just can't see themselves as the Harley guy when they show up someplace. I <laughs> I couldn't be the GS guy when I pulled up to someplace. I just I couldn't do it. But what I could do is a Moto Guzzi V85 TT, the new uh, lighter weight adventure bike that uh, Moto Guzzi has. Just ticks all the boxes. And it is truly a bike that is interesting and evocative and has enough history behind it and is just uh, conceptually interesting enough that I could live with that. Uh, especially the one in gray that doesn't have all the different, you know, uh, Ronald McDonald colors on it. I, I could definitely do that. The other one that surprised me, cause I would have never considered it, uh, the 2018 Harley, uh, Softail Lowrider. Uh, I happened to be looking around for bikes with cruise control and I saw that they actually have an accessory cruise control module that you can buy for any of the soft tails plug in and have cruise control on it. I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I'm like, well, it, yeah, it's, it, you can get it with ABS and cruise control and you know, it's got a rubber mounted engine and it's really a nice handling chassis and it's not small, but it's not huge either. And it's, I was like, Oh, so I actually went to my local Harley dealer which was a mistake because I've gotten a call every two or three days since then. <laughs> and I finally had to say, stop calling me. 
you cannot call me anymore. But uh, they had one in stock, and they didn't have the color that I liked. They, for 2018, they had a really nice pearl white that I just loved, and they didn't have that. But they did have one in black that I sat on. I could do that, despite not really buying into the whole bar and shield lifestyle thing. I I could do that. None of those motorcycles I expected from you. <laughs> I didn't expect them either. I mean, neither one of those were on my radar at all. I'm not sure what I expected, but I didn't expect especially a Harley, but also a Moto Guzzi. Um, maybe I should have expected the Moto Guzzi, but definitely not the Harley. I need three bikes. Yeah. I, I need to have a commuter, a long-distance tour. And one that's just kind of a vintage, classic, interesting. Well, look what I have. I have my Spider, which is, I realize it's three wheels, but it's great for touring around the Midwest. I have my 125, which is theoretically great for just running to the store, commuting, you know, 12 miles in the back roads to work. Ideally, I would like something newer with fuel injection, like, uh, Maybe a TU250X or even like um, the Sim Wolf 150. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that would be really cool that I really like. Uh, Beta made a 125. I don't think they're importing this year, but they made a 125 uh, dual sport bike. Really nice. I think it's a Yamaha derived motor uh, that's built in Italy. For last year, they made a supermoto version of it with 17-inch cast wheels. Mm-hmm. I could see something like that for a commuter around town because it's going to be new. It's not going to have the maintenance hassles that I've had with the derelict that I have now. Uh, nice brakes, nice tires. That would be fun. Yeah. And then for classic, I've got my Boltakenstein project that's never going to yeah. get finished. But theoretically, something like that would be cool. So I had, is I guess, a much easier time picking one motorcycle that I could live with comfortably for the rest of my life. And it was actually a pretty easy decision. Um, now, when you first brought up this uh, idea of a topic, the first thing that came to my mind was the Sutter MMX 500 uh, two-stroke GP bike that they made. Um, cause I was thinking like, what could be better than a 200 horsepower, 240 horsepower, two stroke with all the GP, uh, technology on it. Um, but I realized the next second that that would be fun for about five minutes and then you would have to live with it for the rest of your life. And that would not be any fun at all. Um, so I thought about it and the motorcycle that I came up with which I'm very comfortable with the idea of owning solely for the rest of my life is the KTM 1290 adventure R. I can, yeah, I can definitely super adventure Mm -hmm. because I want a fast motorcycle with a lot of horsepower and a lot of torque, a comfortable riding position for touring, something with cruise control, but something that's still soft, you know, that doesn't, jar over every bump um but also something that's interesting to look at that doesn't look like every other motorcycle there is um and 
as far as all of my criteria, I mean, the KTM adventure bike, the 1290, like fits every one of them perfectly, really. Um, you could tour on it. You could ha- do a wheelie on it, um, you know, and, and it's unique as far as the aesthetics. So um, I'm pretty confident I could like commit to that motorcycle very long term as a as an only bike. I think if I was going to go that route, I think the, is it the 1090? Yeah, the, the 10, they replaced the 1190 with the 1090 last year. There's a 10, now, nowadays there's the 1090 and 1290. I think I may actually be thinking of the older 10, was it, well, the, the 1050. Before, uh, let's see, there was a... There was a 950 and a 990. It more, it's more street-oriented. Yeah. What I think uh, they did, though, is they did two. They did sort of the, uh, what they're, I think they call the Adventure R now, which is more the hardcore off-road style with the 21-inch spoked wheels and everything. But then they did do another version that was more street-oriented with, like, normal-style 17-inch wheels. Yeah. A 2016... 1050 is what I had in my mind's eye. It's got uh, mm-hmm. low front fender, street tires on it. Uh, I think that's something that I could, I could, if I could convince myself that I really wanted to mess with a KTM from a reliability standpoint. So, yeah, I know some Those people ones, say that they're good and some people have other opinions. <laughs> I know that this is all uh, a hypothetical talk, but the, I think the 1050 in that generation um, was still a cable throttle. And so, like, you couldn't adapt cruise control as easily to it as the newer ones, which are electronic throttle. Good point. And so I know that the when they came out with the 1090, um, it was a ride by wire um, and they didn't have cruise control on them, but you can adapt it uh, easily. So. I'm almost certain the 1290 Adventure has cruise control. I mean, that's our flagship. Yeah. Eric, what's what's your answer? So I attack this looking at as this is not my only bike, but this is someone saying, I'll buy you just like your dream bike. So I could have another another bike. So with that in mind, I'm down to two bikes because I figure, all right, if I'm spending my own money, I'm probably going to buy either uh, a 790 Duke or a Street Triple R. So if someone's buying me, you're giving me the money or going to buy this bike for me, it's either a either a Vincent Black Shadow or the it's either 93 or 94 uh, Kajiva 500cc MotoGP bike that John Kaczynski wrote. And for two similar reasons. One, they're both very special machines. And number two, they're so gorgeous, they're pieces of art. So when they're not when you're not riding them, you can literally stare at them for hours just because they're both so beautiful. Now, because I have, I will go with the. I can't. Um, uh, I'm going to go with the Vincent Black Shadow just because I've wanted one of those since the first time I saw one when I was 15 years old. So that would be my choice. But we are talking like pull a hair out of your head and the difference between those two is about that thick well the thing is you could actually ride a vincent's black shadow i mean i've been to bike shows where vincent's with 
touring bags were in the parking lot. You know, you can take out and ride a Kajiva GP bike. I don't, I don't even think you'd want to, to start it, run it, do it. I mean, it would have to be something you would put on a pedestal in your living room. I would take it out once a year to the track and ride the hell out of it for about an hour, hour and a half, scare the ever living crap out of myself <laughs> for that hour, hour and a half, fully understand the beauty and the terror of a 500 GP bike. And then yes, I would clean it, put it away for a year. And then, you know, and I could stare at it, you know, it's one of five ever made and there we go. It's mine. So, yeah, but I mean, blow it up, throw it down the road. I mean, you can't get parts for them and anything that you were to replace wouldn't be authentic. I can't imagine that you'd even want to take that out on a track at this point. Well, A, I didn't pay for it. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. There's the first thing. Um, But B, it's, there's enough people who take those out, uh, take them out and run them. Like uh, uh, Phillip Island just had a big, classic historical race they race them at goodwood um whether it's up the hill or on the track and uh, there's a few other ones where you could actually do it and because it's a two-stroke it's relatively simple it's not like you couldn't essentially have parts made for it um you know with the body work you just you take a mold you know while you have it and it's all together you do a mold and then i don't i don't think those bodies were in carbon at that point although Kajiva, they probably did it <laughs> yeah. in carbon at that point. I don't know. I, I just, I guess, I wouldn't worry about it. And the upside is, is people might actually pay you to bring that thing to places because yeah. it's so rare and so special. That's true. So. The latest copy of Classic Motorcycle Mechanics actually does have a ride review of that exact bike. So if you want to go out to pocketmags.com, you can download the February 2019 issue, and they have the Kajiva GP500 ridden and rated. So, the other, although he didn't race that bike, um, my all-time motorcycle racing hero Eddie Lawson finished his career on Kajiva, so that's another reason why that's I would be attracted to it. So, but so, at the end of the day, it's a Vincent Black Shadow and the image from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Hunter Thompson talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the, in the book, not necessarily in the movie, but in the book of just the way that he described it when I, you know, and I, I knew about the bikes and appreciated it before, but the way he described it when I read that, just like, yes, <laughs> perfection. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was. Yeah, both would be very cool bikes. What is a Black Shadow worth these days, anyways? I think they're like 50 to 70 for a good one. Yeah. But so I, I, a I lot less than a Kajiva 500 GP bike. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I haven't looked in a while, but fifty to seventy rings a bell. The Kajiva bike is probably worth three to four hundred grand. What they're worth is what somebody pays for them. Yeah. Speaking of which, the Meekum Vegas auction at the end of January was the largest motorcycle auction, or at least a classic, ever. 1,750 motorcycles got auctioned over, I think, four days. Uh, if you go out and you look through what was on auction, absolutely phenomenal how many jaw-dropping bikes were on auction. Some of it was there was a very large uh, motorcycle collection from somewhere in Scandinavia that they closed the museum and auctioned off all the bikes. So there was like 
200 bikes or something like that that were uh-huh. truly world class, you know, uh, uh, 1930s crockers and stuff like that. A lot of bikes that were one of one. There was also a couple of other, uh, individual collectors that were selling all or most of their collections. So, uh, absolutely made me wish that I had been able to go just, you know, there's no way I could have afforded any of these. But just to see this many bikes that you will only see once in your lifetime all in one spot would have been very mm-hmm. cool. You know, they had bro superiors and, and, uh, okay. I pulled up the, the Mecham top 10 from Las Vegas, a 1939 Crocker big tank sold for $704,000. Oh. A 1937 Crocker small tank went for 423000 How many did Jay Leno buy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, early, early, like teens and 20s longitudinal four cylinders, an Ace, a Pierce, Henderson, they were in the top 10. A 1925 BMW R37 went for $220,000. And a veritable bargain. A 1992 Honda NR750 went for $181,000. I would have expected that to go for more. Shockingly, that bike was not that expensive 15 years ago. You could have bought one of those, and and again, relatively speaking. I seem to remember those popping up, a few of them, for like 70, 75 grand back in around 2000, I want to say, right right after 2000. Yeah, so that's a a pretty good run-up on that, but... More than I would have expected that to sell for. Well, I expected it to go for more. I expected that to be at least a quarter of a million dollars because there's only 300 of them and they are so unique. But I guess 1992 isn't that long ago. So, um, uh, one of the Facebook groups that I am a member of had a member that was there that was doing like live updates to the group as bikes were being auctioned and I was just dumbfounded how many, I mean, they had gray market bikes that you'd never see in the United States that went for a fairly decent price. A bull taco streaker, one of the 28 of them in the United States got auctioned and it went for, I think five grand thereabouts. Mm. It was not running. It did need some, you know, probably needed the engine gone through to be a runner, but uh, it had, very low miles on it, you know, mm-hmm. n- almost all have very few miles on them. Nobody who bought one of these wanted to use it as a daily driver. A lot of the stuff was the stuff that, you know, for, for the price of a really nice used bike or a new bike, you could, you could buy. So, yeah. Hey, Garrett, did, uh, there was a, apparently there was a big motorcycle show in Portland last yeah. weekend. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you make it to that? No. No, I didn't. It was the annual One Moto Show, which is kind of a hipster motorcycle show, but it's good. There's a lot of really, really neat bikes that uh, get shown at it. It's one of those things where it's like an abandoned warehouse that they set up for the weekend and put a bunch of motorcycles up on platforms and everybody drinks champagne kind of deal. Um I didn't go to it. Uh, I've seen a bunch of pictures, and there's some really cool bikes, so I'll have to dig some of those out and post them on our Facebook page. It, look, it looked like a good show this year. 
You're saying you could smell the beard oil from your house? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do they there have the, a lot of beard oil present? Is it like a lot of shows though that the same bikes show up every year, or is this by invitation or? Yeah, it's by invitation. And no, they they don't bring in the same bikes every year because you you have to apply to enter your bike into the show, and then they select which ones they want, and they choose a really wide variety. Um, but they also like to rotate different bikes through so it's different every year and i I mean there's some like you know custom chopper harleys from the 70s you know that are all original everything from that to you know you'll find japanese two strokes and everything in between i mean it's they don't they don't discriminate but it's all very very nice stuff yeah i think there's probably a hundred bikes on display so quite a few okay I think that is a good place to wrap it up. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to both of you guys for continuing to do this every month. If you want to share your dream one bike, you can uh, go to our Facebook page and comments, any questions. You can also go to Hooniverse.com and just click on the podcast link. The Hooniverse podcast network at one point was for different podcasts two of those have gone by the wayside so it's just us and jeff's hooniverse podcast but uh there's some talk in the works about possibly something else non-motorcycle related that may may crop up to fill that void so speaking of podcasts i have eight episodes of the original rumble strip radio podcast left to upload hopefully as we uh, either tonight or tomorrow as we're recording this i will have finished uploading all of them uh, they'll be set to go and then i will post a link on the facebook page if anyone wants to hear podcasts from 2006 7 and 8 cool. and do you have any uh, video reviews or anything coming up for hooniverse uh, the last thing I did for Hooniverse uh, was going out to Moab, Utah, which, by the way, if you've never been out there, you must, 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 must go. Uh, I drove a Honda Passport, which was, shockingly, a pretty good car. I've got three or four other written reviews I'm working on for other stuff I've, I've driven, uh, including the Buick Regal Tourex that I took out to Virginia to get the puppy, which, by the way, if you want a German station wagon – there you go. Get it while you can. It's actually a really, really good vehicle. Uh, and a couple others. So that'll be what's going on over at uh, Universe for me. Very good. Garrett's got some other stuff of his work that he's posted out there through Facebook. And interesting photographs of what I'm doing on the 125 out there. So we also were going to get a video. You said you were going to make a video of the, was it the, was it the Vesco bike? Yeah, I was going to make a video of it uh, starting for the first time in 35 years, but I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's not going to happen. Then. It's already got you know, started. Kinda, it, you know, I, I was like finishing up and like I, I, you know, got the motor put in and got the carbs on and synced and the oil lines bled and put the pipes on. And then I was just kind of rushing, not rushing through it, but like, you know, putting it all together. And next thing I knew, there was like no more parts to put on it. I was like. Well, it's ready to fire. Might as well see if it will. <laughs> and cool. I just started it. You know, it was just kind of the, one of those things where it was I was in the moment. I just wanted to fire it up and, and see how it worked. I didn't have a you know, video recording device with me, but um, it is running. It started. 
I'll have a ride video just as soon as I can get uh, some dry weather outside to run it up and down the neighborhood. So look for that soon. Okay. Yep. Till next month. Take it easy. So long.